absolutely, positively should start this season 2-0. Am I getting ahead of myself here? Maybe a little bit, but, you know, that's part of the fun of having sports back. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and I'm here in East Rutherford, New Jersey, to cover the Steelers' 88th opener takes place at MetLife Stadium against the New York Giants. 7.10 p.m. kickoff. That's airing nationally on ESPN, locally in Pittsburgh on WTAE. The game should, I guess, you know, being Monday Night Football, come with some kind of drama or excitement. And I'm sure there's going to be enough of that manufactured on the broadcast itself. I mean, it, you know, New York's right across the river. They can always pull off something. They they make the New York Jets sound relevant. But the fact of the matter is, the Giants stink. There's not a kinder, gentler way to say it, and really there's no need to do that. Why should anyone strive to lower the expectations for a group of Steelers it's this talented. Why should anyone look at the Giants and say, ooh, there's a hard challenge? Uh, because it's a road game? No, there's going to be 82,500 very empty gray seats at MetLife Stadium. There's no home field advantage of any kind. Is it because it's New York? Ooh, you know, and because uh, New York can outspend everyone in baseball and has this big market mystique? No. As mentioned, the Jets are bad. The Giants are bad. They're they're just bad. They're bad football teams. It's okay to say that. It's okay to expect the Steelers to do what they're going to do in this game. The Giants have a young, still inexperienced quarterback in Daniel Jones, who's shown occasional promise, but not all that much. They don't have an offensive line of any repute. They don't have a right tackle to block T.J. Watt in this game. I mean, just think about that alone, you know? I mean, your analysis of this should begin and end right there. They do have Saquon Barkley. Barkley is capable, as he showed for years at Penn State, of making something out of nothing. If he isn't the best running back in the NFL, he's up there. He's going to have his plays. He's going to make his splashes. But if I'm the Steelers, yeah, I mean, you want to stop Barkley, but I don't know that you're building your game plan around doing that because ultimately what you really have to do is get to the quarterback. The one thing Barkley definitely can't do and never has been able to do, including when he was with the Nittany Lions, is pass block. They'll get back there and they'll do their damage on the quarterback. If Saquon runs for six, seven yards, but then on the next play they get a sack or an interception or a fumble, they'll take it. The Steelers are equipped to do that and so much more. Who's Jones throwing to? Golden Tate? Defensively, it's not much different. The Giants are especially vulnerable in, of all places, 
The secondary, they're okay up front. They have a decent defensive line. They're not going to let you have freebies with the run game. But if the Steelers do what's smart in a Ben Roethlisberger offense with all those wide receivers, all those tight ends now, and all those options, then they'll pass to set up the run instead of the other way around. And that's always, always been the strength of a Ben Roethlisberger-led offense. They should do it unless something goes really wrong with Ben and his nerves and jitters and rust, and it takes him a while to get accurate. And based on the training camp and practices he's had, and I've seen them, that ain't going to happen. The Steelers absolutely will be able to pass the ball. If they need to get Ben comfortable early, they can do it with a series of shorter passes, shorter slants that don't put as much pressure on him, let him get a little bit comfortable. And then after that, he can start slinging it. He can start going deep to James Washington, Juju, Deontay, whatever. There's so many options, and the Giants can't cover them. So... That's got to be a W. That's not me making a prediction. Predictions are easy. They also don't mean anything. They should win this game. And when they do, and they go into next week's game at home at Heinz Field, and again, no home field advantage, no fans, no nothing. I mean, familiar surroundings and all that, lots of yellow. You know, they can feel comfortable there. They can be in their own locker room, but that's not anything that's super noteworthy. What matters is that the Broncos will come into town with no quarterback. Drew Locke is his name. They're probably the one team in the NFL that you can really circle out of the 32 and say, wow, they just have no quarterback. A lot of people were surprised that the Broncos weren't more aggressive in trying to get one of the various available free agents out there. This player is not going to surprise anybody, and if he does, it won't be this Pittsburgh defense. That alone should decide this, but if that isn't enough, the Broncos' very best player on either side of the ball Von Miller, of course, is out for the season with the torn Achilles from a few days ago. Bad thing for the sport, not a bad thing for the Steelers. That's 2-0. That's 2-0 right there. Don't hold them to a lesser standard. Don't fret over jinxes or any other fourth-grade nonsense or stuff like that. The Steelers need to start this season 2-0. And if they do and they can build up a little bit of confidence, a little bit of momentum, they go into a significantly more challenging stretch after that, including some of the better teams in the AFC that will test them a little bit more. That's a perfect way for this schedule to line up with the Steelers and, of course, all teams not having had a preseason with Ben having a chance to shake off some of that rust. Let them, even if they struggle a little bit at different points, and I'm positive that they will, positive of it, 
It's not going to be where they come out and put up 50 on somebody. Even if that happens, let it happen now. Let them figure stuff out now. Let them go through their lumps. And then after that, start playing markedly better football against markedly better opponents. But for right now, win these two. When we come back, yeah, I'm staying on football. Rutherford. Steelers and Giants tonight at 7-10. Beginning of the NFL season from the Pittsburgh perspective anyway. I'll get into some stuff that happened around the league yesterday in our third and final segment. For this one, I'd like to do something that I do for all three of Pittsburgh's teams on the eve of their getting started, and that's to pick a breakout player. And for those of you who are new to this, I I try to keep the definition pretty consistent. It's someone who is not necessarily new, is not necessarily even young, but is poised to put a season together that's above and beyond anything that they had before. Yeah, of course, that's usually going to be someone younger, and this one will be. This one will be. But first, I'm here to tell you that this segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Times are tough for a lot of people when things are normal. In a pandemic, it's something else entirely. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you just want to help out, our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Do that by visiting their site, pittsburghfoodbank.org, and spell out those first three words. Good people doing good deeds. I've been fortunate enough to get to know some of them. My breakout player for this year, and this breakout choice will not exactly be breaking ground, is Devin Bush. Yeah, it's his second year. Yeah, that's the year that Mike Tomlin always demands, not asks, demands of players to find another gear. Uh, Bush knows it. Bush knows he's had a year to learn the defensive system, to learn the signals to learn what's expected of him out there, not just as a, as a field general, but also uh, as a player. And we got to see splashes of it in 2019 when, as a rookie, he was on the football. He was making plays, fumble recoveries, uh, running the ball back. You noticed him right away. That's what you always want to see in players that you expect, uh, that you hope have reason to hope, are special. When the Steelers made the trade to move up and get Devin Bush, they weren't doing that because they thought, let's fill a hole at inside linebacker. That's because they were looking for someone who'd be special at that position. And, of course, when you're talking about being special at that position, you're talking about 
as we have been for quite a while, finding a replacement for Ryan Shazier. Bush started to show signs of that. He showed maturity, I thought, over the course of the year. One thing that he didn't show, though, was the stamina needed to perform at that very high level over 16 games. I thought he faded somewhat down the stretch. That's extremely common in rookies. That applies across the board. That's not just football, but in football it's going to be more visible than it might be in another sport. Bush still had the great closing. He still was managing his assignments, but there wasn't that little extra. There wasn't that, you know, that something special to keep using that word. He has that in him. He reported to this training camp in what Mike Tomlin and his coaching staff refer to, not as it relates to Bush, but as it relates to everybody coming in for their second year in NFL shape. College players tend to think they know what their best conditioning is. When they're drafted and they come to the Steelers for their development camp, the rookie camp that's held, well, in a non-coronavirus year right after the draft, one of the things the team does, actually the first thing the team does, is check out their, their conditioning levels their frames, their physiques. Yeah, you do know and learn a lot of stuff from uh, from studies and from the NFL scouting combine, but until you have them in the fold, you don't really know anywhere near as much as you need to. So they get them in and they try to tell, if they see something that they don't like, they tell the player, hey, you know, you got a, a month or two before we start getting serious and we get to Latrobe and we have a real training camp and everything, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. It's never enough time. It's never enough time to put in the full regimen that you need to have that player showing up into your camp the way you think would fit them best in the NFL. This isn't a question of the player's commitment or anything like that. It's just about not having that exact matching knowledge as to what the Steelers would expect. Ryan Shazier actually went through the same thing. And Shazier's always been in immaculate condition. But when he showed up at the Steelers, he was built more like a, a safety than a linebacker, and there are certain things that they wanted to do with him, and they did. And you saw the difference. They love the shape that Bush is in. They feel like Bush is in a better position to make more of those big plays. And yeah, to, to last longer, to be an impact player through 16 games plus playoffs. That, to me, adds up to a pretty safe choice for breakout player, I'd say. Right? Hey, I didn't say these had to be like, whoa. I can't believe he picked that guy. He's going to take the guy that I actually think it's going to be. When we come back, oh, those Ohio teams. One cool thing about doing uh, a morning podcast is occasionally you'll hear me say something. 
Last night in the NFL, I get to do like this radio style recitation of the scores. If you go way back in listening to sports radio, you'll remember that announcers used to have a billion different ways to say that somebody either won or lost the game. Miami prevailed over Atlanta. St. Louis succumbed to San Francisco. Like that, they would just, because they felt like it was some terrible thing to just repeat the same verbs through the whole thing. You know, they beat or they lost to. Beat, lost to. One thing you can always do with consistency in this business is report on Ohio's two NFL franchises doing something completely miserable, but even by their rich standards in this regard. The Browns and Bengals outdid themselves yesterday. Uh, Cleveland got smashed by the Baltimore Ravens, 38-6. to Baker Mayfield was lousy, threw a pick on the first drive. They again didn't bother handing the ball off to Nick Chubb. OBJ was terrible. Their defense was way worse than anybody or anything I just mentioned. The Browns, as correctly forecast right here all through the summer when they're making all these headlines about, oh, they signed so-and-so and they got another toy and they did this, the Browns will stink. They already do. But even that wasn't the most Ohio NFL thing that would happen on the day. Of course, the Bengals had to out-Bengal everybody. And here's Joe Burrow, the LSU kid, the number one overall pick, admirably leading his Cincinnati team down the field on what was certain to be a game-winning drive against the Chargers. The score was 16-13 to in favor of the Bolts. And Burroughs finding guys left and right, moving the ball down the field, looking very much in control, pretty much, you know, like he was still at LSU and they were facing whatever, Auburn or somebody. And they get down near the goal line. He throws a pass into the end zone for A.J. Green. A.J. gets called for offensive pass interference, which, by the way, there were four OPIs in the league yesterday, which is nuts. I mean, that's a really, really high figure, and one of them, really late last night, if you stayed up and watched the game between the Cowboys and the Rams, was just terrible and really, really hurt Dallas, although I know it doesn't break many hearts around the league. Just a terrible call. But maybe OPI is a thing now. So anyway, that wipes away... Big, magical Joe Burrow moment. And they end up not being able to pull anything else off, so they bring out Randy Bullock for what's going to be the easiest chip shot field goal of his life to tie the game, and being a Bengal, he misses it. And then, being Limus Swede, he reaches down and goes, Ow, my leg! And pulled his hamstring. Or didn't. I'm sure most people in Cincinnati believe that he didn't. So the positive spin to something like this is that, well, you know, great for the kid. 
what a great sign for the future of the Bengals that Joe Burrow was able to do this. I mean, I mean, this really wasn't his fault and everything else. Burrow, and he was really mature afterward and said all the right things about how, hey, we should have buried this before it came down to a kick and taking all the responsibility, which I'm sure wins him all kinds of points in the locker room and everything else. Here's the actual thing. The reason that the Browns have, it's either 19 or 20 now, names on that infamous shirt of theirs, the reason they've had all those quarterbacks since Tim Couch started the trend in 1919 when the franchise was reborn, is that those quarterbacks, whether they're talented or not, whether they're confident or not, bombastic or not, whether they're Johnny Football or not, when they come in there, they get beaten up by this bad environment and by bad things that happen to them. You'll notice that most of those Cleveland quarterbacks not only failed with the Browns, but then just failed altogether. Like It's not like they would go somewhere else and succeed. They were just ruined. They were just crumpled up and thrown in the trash by the setting, by the circumstance. The Bengals aren't quite in that territory. They had Carson Palmer, who was successful in Cincinnati. They've had Andy Dalton, who, by Cincinnati standards, was successful. Andy got his team to the playoffs. Andy wasn't terrible. Andy couldn't beat the Steelers really his primary shortcoming. But they haven't chewed up and spat out quarterbacks the way Cleveland has. But they have lost. They've lost a lot, and they're going to continue losing. So the similarity between Cleveland and Cincinnati does come into play for Burrow because Burrow's coming in behind what everyone will acknowledge is a novice offensive line. He's going to be running for his life. He was only sacked to his credit yesterday three times, but they're going to be coming. There's going to be more fierce defenses coming at him than what the Chargers have. Just wait till his two trips against Pittsburgh. He's in for a really rough ride, and he's going to be faced with situations like yesterday where he's so used to his actions producing a positive result and having everyone say, Yay, Joe, you're the best. And he was right there. He did everything right. He threw the pass to A.J. Green. He threw it where it needed to go. A.J. was the one that, whether you believe it or not, pushed off. He didn't do anything wrong there, meaning Burrow. He certainly didn't do anything wrong on the kick. But he didn't get the result, and that... I have seen it over the years in all sports. It beats you up as a youngster. The team result will either lift you up or beat you up. Joe Burrow is going to need to be really, really tough, not just physically from the pounding he's going to take this year, but mentally tough to overcome the awful stigma that is being a Cincinnati fan. Tomorrow, this show will come at you from MetLife Stadium, where I will be reporting on a Steelers victory over the New York Giants. Do you want to score? Do you do that? 
Mike want to do that? Uh, I've got 38 to 6. Nah, let's give him a couple more points. 38 to 10. How about that? 38 to 10 Steelers over the Giants. Thanks so much for listening to this. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.